already losing it. I have to borrow Marty's Bible because I've misplaced mine somewhere this morning. We've been looking so forward to this uh, Sunday and being with you all again. It's a great pleasure uh, to be here. And I've been thinking since last January about what you know, this message would be. How could I uh, come up with something that would, uh, in one question, one sermon, one point, summarize 38 years of ministry? And then life does happen. As I was leaving the house this morning, we got a phone call from Margaret that evidently her youngest, uh, uh, our daughter Margaret, and her youngest son Brooks broke his wrist this morning. So it's funny. Oh, and all of a sudden, where's my Bible? Is the way it ends up. So I, I had to borrow uh, Marty's. I have been uh, thinking about uh, what I would say, and I got so excited all the way back in January when I thought it would be uh, in the end of May that that would be this uh, the sermon. Uh, I, I figured it out. I, I got so excited that, uh, I mean, it's, it, tears well up in your eyes. They're not exactly tears of sadness or tears of, of joy, it's more like, this is right. Has your heart just ever come to your throat and you know, this is right, this is the question that sums it all up. And uh, what do you think that would be? This question, do you love me? Say what? You, you mean that? What? He's lost it. <laughs> For, for all these years, he's pointed to Christ. Now he's asking, do you love me as he retires? Now, it's a test. It's a test. Because you need to remember where we were in our study of the Gospel of John. It, and it does remind me of uh, the Fiddler on the Roof. How many of you have actually seen Fiddler on the Roof? How dated am I now? Oh, most of you have now. So, uh, it, it, it's a Russian-Jewish couple who, in their tradition, had been in an arranged marriage with each other. But their three daughters want to marry for love. And Tevya begins to catch the idea that his oldest wants to marry not the one that she would be arranged in marriage to, some older, gross guy, <laughs> but the man he loves, she loves. And Tevye says, love. And he says to his wife, Golda, Golda, do you love me? Do I what? See, that's what you were thinking when I said, do you love me? Do, do I what? And they go on and banter back and forth uh, through the song. And Tevye ends up saying, the first day I met you uh, the, was the day that we were married. I was scared. I was shy. I was nervous. So was I. Tevye says, but my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. So now I ask you, do you love me? And she finally answers him. She says, for 25 years I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed was his. If that's not love, what is? And Debbie says, so you love me. She says, I suppose I do. 
he says, I suppose I love you too. They sit down together and kind of wonder this new discovery and say, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's good to know. So, after 38 years, I ask, do you love me? And it's the most important question you'll ever be asked. It's a test because you need to remember where we left off in the Gospel of John at the end of June. We have one passage left. And you, it's a spiritual test because I'm not asking for myself. I'm simply the messenger of the question that Jesus asked Peter. And it's a question through Peter, leader of the apostles, who are leaders of the church. It's a question he asks of you. And this is the question that when you think of me, if you forget everything else, I hope you don't, but if you forget everything else, I want you to remember that I pointed to him and Jesus asks you, do you love me? Let's read our passage, John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he turned and said to him, follow me. This is our main text. There is an epilogue at the end of it that we'll address when we come to it. Let's pray before we go into it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you by your spirit would actually speak to us through this passage and we would hear this question that Jesus asked of Peter, that we would hear it for ourselves. And I pray that you would give us the ability to respond as did Peter. Lord, you know that I love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several parts to this passage. We'll deal first with the question in Peter's answer. There are three aspects of that question. When Jesus said in the first place, in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That reveals that Jesus is thinking specifically of the context 
of Peter denying him. Turn with me in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, where we learn about uh, Peter's denial. In verse 31, Jesus told them, his disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So when Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? He's not asking, do you love me more than you love these things? He's not asking, do you love me more than you love these other disciples? He's asking Peter, who said, even if all fall away, I never will. He's asking Peter, do you love me more than everybody else loves me? Do you love me more than my other disciples love me? Because that's what Peter had said. He was the one who wouldn't fall away. And Jesus said, John tells us, that Jesus told Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. And the implication of that question, of that request, is that God granted him permission to show Peter how strong he really was. So when Jesus comes to Peter, who must have been kind of sheepish all this time, yes, he was excited at the resurrection of Christ. Yes, he ran to the tomb and, and saw it empty. Yes, he was in that upper room when Jesus appeared to his disciples. Yes, they went on to Galilee. Yes, he recognized, as you remember, the, the previous uh, text was about the empty nets after fishing all night and then Jesus filling those nets to the breaking. And John said, it's the Lord. And Peter was so excited he jumped out of the boat and came to Jesus. But there was still something that must have been sheepish about Peter because he had denied knowing Christ three times, just as Jesus told him he would. He was not so strong. He was not so brave. He was not the exceptional one in terms of his courage and strength. He was humbled. And Jesus, it's like, he took his finger and put it right where Peter was guilty. He put it right on the burden, right on the shame. And he said, Peter, son of John, do you love me more than everybody else? Do you love me more than these do? And Peter could have answered, Oh, Lord, you, this just would have been more of an intellectual answer. It would have been right. Oh, Lord, I realize now that I don't love you more than everybody else. He could have expressed his humility. But then he would have been expressing his love for Jesus. He would have been saying, I really don't love you that much. He could have uh, answered, Lord, I do. I do. I will still die for you. I know I blew it then. But if everybody else disowns you, I will die for you. But he's been humble. He doesn't make that assertion anymore. Peter just goes to the heart of it. 
And he says, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Peter is standing there before Jesus with all of that guilt and shame for having disowned him, but he knows that Jesus, who went to the cross for him, gave his life for the forgiveness of his sins. He stands there completely exposed and says, you know that I love you. Can you say that this morning? Jesus asks Peter this three times. He doesn't ask the whole question, but it's all the same context. Again, in verse 16, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, Jesus said to him in verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, the first two instances, Jesus asked the question with the Greek verb agape, agape love. It's the verb form of agape. It's godly, unconditional love. And Peter answers with the word philos, which is phileo, which is where Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love. Love. It's friendship love. But I think sometimes people make way too much of the verb differences. I think in John, he's just using the verbs, uh, the words interchangeably. Because Jesus isn't saying, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter responds, yes, I really like you. It's not that kind of distinction. It's not saying, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I care for you. As though he wouldn't say, I love you. Because the third time Jesus asks him, Jesus uses the word phileo, the verb phileo. The Philadelphia love, the, the brotherly love, the friendship love. He says, do you love me? And Peter doesn't say, now you've asked it in a different way. Yes, I can say, I, I love you. He doesn't make that distinction. He just takes it as the third time. And besides that, Jesus was almost certainly speaking to Peter in Aramaic. Do you ever think about that? And the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, was using John to write this gospel in Greek. So there were some translation choices here. So John chooses to use agape and uh, phileo. That's John's choice led by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was speaking uh, Aramaic. So don't make too much of the differences. It's the third time Jesus has asked the same question. And it says... That Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. I think it was later he realized the connection. That Jesus gave him three opportunities to say, Lord, you know that I love you. Why three times? Because Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times. When God touches our guilty spot, when he convicts us of sin, it's his love and mercy that does it because that's what separates us from him. Even when we are Christians, even when we are followers of Christ, when we do things like Peter did, when we blow it big time, God comes and says, as he sent Nathan the prophet to say to David after the sin with Bathsheba, he said, thou art the man. That was a mercy because the sin needed to be addressed so that the fellowship could be completely restored. And God touches you in that way. 
He's not driving you away. He's pointing out your sin so that you can say, Oh, Lord, you know I love you. I love you because you first loved me and gave your life for the forgiveness of this sin, my sin. Thank you for taking it away. I praise you and worship you for restoring me to yourself by the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for my sake on the cross. It's a mercy when God does this. Peter didn't realize it here. He was just hurt. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. Now, when we come to church, we gather together. We often talk about how it's easy to do that as a pretense. We come and we express our love for God. And others may be fooled if our hearts are far from God. But guess who is not fooled? Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. Can you say, Lord, you know my heart and you know that I love you? Or would you have to say, Lord, you know all things and you know I'm just pretending? Lord, you know all things. You know I'm just half hearted. You know all things. And you know that I love you with this feeling on Sunday morning, but on Friday night I'll live very differently because I love other things. What would you have to say if you said to the Lord, Lord, you know all things about your heart? It's not a pretense to be perfect. How could Peter have that pretense? It's the repentance that leads to worship and love and gratitude for the grace of God. The Lord Jesus, who came to give his life to pay the penalty of our sin. That is real love. We open this service with oh, the deep, deep love of, of Jesus. Fast, boundless. That's how we open. Then we say, What a friend we have in Jesus. We talk about Jesus being our friend, and that it shouldn't be just our friend because he's also our Lord. But isn't it amazing that the one through whom all the universe is created calls you his friend? Yesterday in our devotional Voices from the Past, Volume 2, that's the one that Mary and I have been using uh, now for a, a good while, there's a devotional that fit right in this by uh, William uh, Grinnell. And he talked about uh, prayer. His devotions were on prayer. But he said this. He said the the sincere soul is tied to God by the heartstrings. His communion is founded in love. Love is stronger than death, and many waters cannot quench it. A stranger, now pay attention to this illustration. This really struck me yesterday. A stranger may have an errand that brings him to a man's house, but that done, the visit ceases. But a friend would come and sit a while and delight in his company. Get your affections on God as your chief good, and you won't forget the way to your God in prayer. How does your love for Christ express itself in your prayer life? Is it just a visit, duty done, tell your way? 
Peter responded, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus followed up with the commission. He said, Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Well, what does that mean? The shepherd illustration was, uh, was highlighted in the passage that predicted Peter's denial. Turn back to it. I had a mark in my own Bible. I need to find it again. And uh, Marty's here. In Matthew 26, when Jesus said, This very night you'll all fall away on the count of me, for it is written, I'll strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go on ahead of you. Jesus said to Peter and John, I prayed for you. Satan's so asked permission to sift you like me, but I prayed for you. And when you have returned when you are restored. Strengthen your brothers. Take care of them. You see, Jesus saw himself. He is our good shepherd. And we are under shepherds. He tells uh, Peter, take care of my sheep. Feed my lamb. Well, what do you feed the lamb of God? He's not telling Peter to throw a covered dish dinner uh, for the church. This is obviously an illustration and metaphor. What do we feed the people of God to nourish them? Jesus, in his temptation, told Satan himself, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you love Jesus, Jesus said, If you love me, obey my commands. Where do we learn his commands? It is in his word. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, The wise man like the builder who builds his house on the rock. And when the winds and waves beat against that house, it will stand because it's built on the solid rock. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And it's not just the red letters in the Gospels. It's all the Bible. The, the whole Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. If you love Jesus, you will love his word. Love Jesus and love his word. You may be a leader, teacher, pastor, uh, Sunday school teacher, parent, teaching your children, just an influencer of your friends. What do you feed people for their spiritual nourishment? Does it begin with a love for Jesus and the love for his word? And that's what you feed others. Feed my sheep. In our bulletins all these years, we've had on the front, committed to Christ and his word. Would it be better expressed, love Christ and his word? In many ways, that would be a better expression. But our culture has made that hard to express. Why? For two reasons. One, our culture has redefined love without commitment. And two, it's love Jesus, whoever you imagine him to be. Who is Jesus? What does love mean? Peter was with Jesus for three years. Jesus' first words and last words to Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' first words and last words to Peter were, follow me. And Peter had been with him and heard his teaching seen his power, seen his miracles, even been an instrument of the power of miracles as Jesus sent them out. 
Peter went with him to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was there when Jesus was arrested. He's the one who, like he struck off the, the ear of the servant. He tried to stand for Jesus. Then he denied knowing him three times. But he was there. He saw who Jesus truly was, who, Je who Jesus truly is. Do you know who Jesus truly is? You can say, I love you, Jesus, and this is the kind of Jesus I could love. It doesn't help to love a Jesus of your own imagination. If you love Jesus, you will love the Word of God, Old Testament and New. It's all about Him, how God sent His Son into the world to redeem us from our sin, to restore us to relationship with Him. To feed my sheep. It's love for His Word. The second part is our culture uh, redefines love as living together. I will love you as long as you please me. I will love you as long as it suits me. It's love without commitment. That's why I think we need to say in our wedding vows, I will love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, as long as we both shall live. It is a committed love. That's real love. I've never had anybody say, I want you to say in my vows, I will love you as long as I want to. I will love you as long as you please me. That's just not romantic. That's not real love. But how many of us live with Jesus? I will love you as long as it pleases me. I will love you as long as this church suits me. I will love you as long as, I will love you as long as it is love without commitment. That's why I think for the sake of our culture, we need to say we're committed to Christ and his word. But remember this, this is the last word uh, from your 38 year pastor. You can be committed to Christ and his word without loving him. You can't love him without really being committed. That's not real love. But you may be committed to him without loving him. And I want you to remember for the rest of your life, Jesus' question to you, do you love me? That's what Jesus came to restore us to, that loving fellowship we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He loves you, and because he first loved you, you can love him in return by his grace. Jesus goes on to tell Peter something that often I think people do take out of context. He said in verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned. Well, we're going to hold that. That's the epilogue. Jesus said this to Peter to indicate the kind of death. Now, is this still like, well, you did this on me. So, yes, I love you and you love me, but there's still going to be punishment in this life. You're going to be led where you do not want to go. You're going to die a martyr's death. Uh, we know from church tradition with, with pretty good certainty that Peter died uh, at the hand of Nero. He'd been imprisoned in Rome in a miserable, miserable prison for a lengthy time and then taken to Nero's circus where he was crucified. Early church fathers were unanimous 
and claimed that Peter died in Rome by crucifixion during the persecution of Nero in AD 64. As for crucifixion upside down, that's church tradition, but that's late. That may or may not be true, actually. That's testified to, but the evidence is weaker for this form of crucifixion. The apocryphal book, The Acts of Peter, is the earliest reference to crucifixion of Peter upside down, and that's in the late second century. So we don't know that that's true, but no, this is true. Peter was led where he didn't want to go. He gave his life for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The earliest reference to this, to the martyrdom of Peter, comes from the letter of Clement of Rome about A.D. 90. John was still alive. He was exiled on the island of Patmos after that. While the, while the disciple was still alive, you have a letter testifying to the crucifixion of Peter in Rome. Now, if you think this is a hard thing Jesus is saying to Peter, uh, it is. But that's not all it is. Suppose Jesus were to come to you and say, and when you get cancer, you'll be able to face that without turning away from me. Say, what? When you lose that job, you're not going to falter in your faith. What? When that person you love rejects you and hurts you, you yet will trust in me. What? We look at the negative side of it. This was actually a blessing that Jesus was giving to Peter. Why? Remember the context. Jesus is telling Peter, you denied knowing me three times before. But guess what? The next time you're tested, you will not. You will be faithful to that commitment that you said, even if all fall away, you will not. You will give your life for me. Guess what? You really will. I will give you that astounding faith. It's an affirmation, a blessing on Peter when Jesus says this to Peter. Can we get that far in our love for Jesus and his love for us that we can even face death, whether it be by natural causes, accident, old age, young tragedy? Can we face it and know, not out of arrogance that Peter had in the first place, but out of God's faithfulness to us that he will enable us to face that without turning away from him in our faith? That's what Jesus is telling Peter. And Peter could know he was, he was really restored. Jesus didn't say, I love you and I know you love me, but I can't count on you. Can't count on you. You, de you denied knowing me three times. I just can't count. I got to have somebody else for this job. He said, no, next time you'll be faithful. Oh, I pray that God would say that for each of us. Well, wouldn't that be the greatest word if we could have that? Just one secret from God's heaven to know about our future, to know that we'll be faithful to him to the end. What a message, what a blessing from, uh, from Peter and from Jesus to Peter. That's the context now for the epilogue. In the epilogue, Peter turned, it's verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now, most of the commentators, and I imagine most of you in studies before, and most of my studies before, had always thought that this was really negative, what Peter was saying. He was looking at John and saying, if I'm going to have to give my life to you, what about him? Is he going to have to do this hard thing too? It's kind of a feeling sorry for yourself for the hard road that God has. Is he going to be blessed more than me? I don't think that's it at all. Once I realized the context of this, in the, the Peter's denial of Christ and the reassurance that Jesus was telling Peter, next time you're going to be faithful. It's the opposite of what Peter said uh, earlier when Jesus predicted his denial. Peter said, even if everyone else abandons you, I will die for you. He doesn't say that anymore. He says, what about John? Is, are we all going to be faithful to you? Instead of saying, everybody else may deny you. You see, do you see how this could be positive? Even when it's positive, though, Jesus says this to Peter. If I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And I'd say that 99% of the time, when we face a difficulty, we look and compare our circumstances to those who are more blessed. And we're thinking, what about him? What about her? Why are you doing this to me and you're blessing them? That's the way we usually think. I don't think Peter is there right now. I think Peter's thinking the great company of disciples might be proven faithful to the end. Even so, Peter says, that's really not your business. You pay attention to my call to you to follow me. You say to the Lord Jesus Christ when he asks you that question, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. And whatever circumstances God brings into your life, whether they are blessed or whether they are cursed, whether they are uh, worldly success, whether in the world's eyes they would be failure, don't compare. Just commit yourselves to following Jesus. You see, there's unity in the body of Christ over that. I can apply that very specifically here right now. If I were really asking you what I kind of implied tongue-in-cheek at the beginning, do you love Harry? Do you love me? And Sean's asking, do you love Sean? Do you love me? You start setting up comparisons. You start setting up divisions. But instead, if you say, Lord, you know I love you. And I will follow you whatever the circumstance. And Sean and I both are calling you to love and follow your Savior, Jesus Christ. We're together on that. So one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one holy people of God. And we call and encourage each other, follow me. Where we can say, as the, the hymnist wrote and sang, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, 
by Jesus, tis now. Note the substance, the content in this expression of love. It's not ignorant of scriptures. It's not a Jesus of his own imagination. It's the Jesus of scripture. I love thee because thou hast first loved me and purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. In mansions of glory and endless delight, I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown upon my brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Oh, that is so much more than just saying to Jesus, I suppose I do. And it changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for first loving us. For loving us while we were yet sinners. For loving us even as we are your followers when we fall flat on our face, as did Peter, as did David in the Old Testament, as did all the saints of the Bible. You yet loved us and called us back to yourself that we could say, Lord, you know that I love you. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who's just here that's either half-hearted or total pretense, I pray that you would strike me with your love for them in sending the Lord Jesus to pay for our sins on the cross, that you would give them the gift of wholehearted faith, and you would restore them to yourself as you did Peter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.